0: pieces but not our projector or the screen and so um, we just got the sound back on really scrambling and so a big hand for the band again and of course I'm off here without a net completely today so uh, I am a big fan of slogans and logos it's kind of always been a thing with me i always notice these things in commercials and in ad campaigns and they're just so creative and i'm not that way and i think that they're just so catchy and i think that the best ones if you've noticed these in the last few years this is becoming more common that a lot of them have double meanings a lot of the slogans like one of my favorites is red lobster see food differently Thank you, right? That's good. Sometimes you have to search for the double meanings in some of these um, slogans or logos, and it's not just companies. Sometimes it can be locations like, uh, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, right? So there's meaning number one, which is, the experience in Vegas is found nowhere else. And meaning number two, I have no idea what the meaning number two is for that, okay? Number one favorite kind of double meaning is for zero water, if you've ever seen their ad, it says zero water, get more out of your water. And it's a water filtration system. And I think that's it's just so clever, it's so, so clever. And when my daughter um, Jenna was looking for to at universities, like coming out of high school and where she's gonna go to school, um, one of the schools that came up for a while for a discussion was the University of South Carolina, which is just beautiful, with awesome campus. Um, she thought it fit her two major requirements, which were really far away and super expensive. And so she's like, okay, so far, so good. Uh, I didn't really appreciate that, but they have this great slogan at the University of of, uh, South Carolina. It's forever begins here. Forever begins here, and I thought, no, what's the double meaning in that? Okay, I get it. That the kids are thinking forever relationships. Oh, and now I get it. The parents are thinking and loan payments forever, <laughs> right? Anyways, a slogan is a quick and catchy way to sum up your story. That's what slogans are. It's like your vision, your passion behind what makes your organization, what makes your school, what makes your company, what makes your institution that you're with, what makes you go. That's what a slogan is. And this summer, as we've been reading through John's biography of Jesus, I think there's a number of slogans that we could have come up with, but we've used one kind of in the last few weeks that goes something like this. From the curious crowd into the committed community. And it seems like Jesus continues to give people the opportunity, that opportunity to move from the curious crowd into the committed community. He seems to be giving people that opportunity, that invitation, over and over again. But if we back up from just the book of John and kind of look at the Bible as a whole, or at least certainly the New Testament as a whole, you can make the case that the church, the committed community, kind of has a slogan too. Now, we don't hear it as much as we used to, but it goes like this. Repent, believe, and be baptized. Jesus uses this repent believe and be baptized He uses this a number of times as to his first followers now each of these three ideas repentance, belief and baptism could be their own series of gatherings and we're not going to do that obviously this morning we're just going we're not going to look at the entire slogan but to get to where we're going to talk about baptism this morning I want we're going to real quickly look at these first two repentance is just it's a word that means literally it means to stop turn around and change direction or change your mind in this context of the book of John as we've been looking at the life of Jesus it could be like become aware of what we are placing our faith in and and let's let's be aware of that maybe stop turn around and change what we're trusting in, in life which is why belief is the second part of the slogan. And if repent is the caution to stop, then belief is the invitation to start, like start trusting in the grace of God. And now the question is, why isn't that the entire slogan? Just repent and believe. What is the deal with baptism? So like repentance, Baptism is kind of an old word. It's it's an outdated word. It's a religious word. We don't use either one of these words in normal, everyday language. But baptism has this added hurdle to it, even beyond repentance, in my opinion. Because when we think of baptism, we think of a ceremony or a ritual, and oftentimes baptism can take place in a situation like that. About five years ago, someone emailed me and they said, "Mike, you talk about the difference between religion and real life all the time and yet every year Storyline offers this ritual of baptism I don't get it and so I immediately responded to them well that's a great question (laughs) it's a great question because the truth is Jesus shows up he rearranges and innovates and upends so much about religion but yet he hangs on to this one ritual This one ceremony, this one tradition of baptism. Why? Why? So this morning, as we prepare for our uh, one week from today, our baptism uh, weekend um, next Sunday, I'd like to see if we can maybe reframe baptism. Maybe look for the double meaning in it like all good slogans have. Beyond the ritual, what is the real life reason that it's part of God's slogan? So that's what we're going to take a look at this morning. Our son, Jimmy, who is now 25 years old and just a really big guy, and every time I talk about him being little, it's it, it's getting harder for me to remember him at this size, but he was. Um, but one of the things that he loved to do when he was very young, very little, was to swim in a pool. I mean, even as an infant lisa would take him in the pool and he absolutely loved it certainly as a toddler and growing up just like a fish he was in the wanted to be in the pool all the time and this is true for a lot of kids right maybe even most kids but you have have you noticed this that kids love to swim they can't wait to get into a pool you have to drag them out and yet they hate taking baths <laughs> It's like, I don't why, what is happening here? So giving Jimmy a bath was always like wrestling a greased pig. And it was always my job, right? And so I knew Lisa was in the hallway just giggling, just hearing me trying to wrestle with this kid in this bathtub. And we would walk out of the bathroom, and Jimmy, I'd have him wrapped in a towel, you know, big doe eyes, looking all innocent. And I'm just soaking wet. And Lisa would look at me, like, you know, with this look that only moms have, like, Oh, that, that, that's, that's saying two things at once like oh my goodness my, my child is so cute and my husband is such an idiot I don't get it right? so you have to, the point is you have to beg kids you have to beg kids to get out of the pool and you have to plead with them to get into the bathtub now why? now see maybe it has something to do with swimming feels like real life and baths seem like a chore. It seems to them like this meaningless ritual at the end of the day. Swimming is fun, it's active, it's an adventure. It's about the beginning of something great, like life is happening here in this pool right now. We're in it, we're in it together, but baths feel like the end, like the day is over something to do with whatever they don't even know kids, right? And what happens next? Nothing. That's what's going on. And, And I think that's why kids love to swim and they hate baths. Swimming is an opportunity. Baths are an obligation. And for a lot of us, I think myself included, we look at religious ceremonies and religious rituals that way and one of the things that we have to remember is that every single religious ceremony, religious ritual and religious tradition at one point was a brand new innovation. At one point it was brand new. No one had ever thought of it before. But it made sense to the people in that time and place. And that's what we're going to try to get to today. See if we can recapture that about baptism. Because I think it's it's true still for us today. Now, there are a lot of things that the Christian church has fought about through time and divided over. I mean, that's why there's so many different denominations, right? Sometimes, though, the Christian church has actually literally fought over different ideas, topics, um, dogmas, uh, beliefs. And baptism is one of those. Like, literal wars have been fought over baptism. Like, exactly what does it mean? How does it work? What is it for? How how do you do it? Who can do it? What do you say? And on and on it goes. So we are not going to try to solve this mystery of uh, baptism this morning. It is a rich and a deep subject with multiple meanings, not just two, that have been interpreted in very different ways by all different kinds of traditions in Christianity. What we're going to do this morning is look at baptism more historically and look at, like, what was it originally and how did Jesus, as he did with almost nearly everything, transform it from an obligation of religion to an opportunity for real life, like to live in and to live out the grace of God in ways that make more sense to us in our real life. Because I think that's what the invitation of baptism is. And I think we're gonna see that this morning and what we're gonna look at. Now, if you were to ask the average American, like, what is baptism? almost every answer would include something about washing away our sins, right? It's like a very great visual for that, very symbolic for that. And certainly, baptism has a lot to do with that, being cleansed, being forgiven by God, for sure. But, if that is the case, if that is all that baptism is about, then I have, this, I have a question. Why in the world would Jesus need to be baptized? Because he was, and he said he had to be. Everyone knows Jesus was perfect. Everyone knows he was sinless. So right from the beginning, we can see that there's much more to baptism going on than just washing away sin. There is an encounter in John chapter 1, and we've been reading through John this summer. I skipped over it on purpose to bring it back on this Sunday. Um, And in this encounter, a man named John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist is different from the John who's writing the book that we're reading through this summer. Okay? But in this encounter, John the Baptist baptizes Jesus because Jesus insists on it. He just insists on it. Now, Matthew, in another biography of Jesus in the the New Testament, gives more detail to this encounter than John does in chapter one, and so we're actually gonna read from, I'm gonna read from Matthew's account of Jesus' baptism, okay, because it gives us a little bit more detail, but it's in John chapter one as well. So this is what the Bible says. Then Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized there. By John. John the Baptist didn't want to do it. This isn't proper, he said. I am the one who needs to be baptized by you. But Jesus said, Please do it, for I must do all that is right. And so then John baptized Jesus in the Jordan River. Now it's important to know that John did not invent baptism. It's not like this thing he came up with and then he also took the name on, okay? Like, I'm John the Baptist. Look at this new thing I've come up with. That's not what's happening. He was called John the Baptist because he did it in a very, very unique way. In a brand new way. So today, if you were to go to Jerusalem, you can still see remnants of ancient baptismals near what was the holy temple of Judaism in, in Jerusalem. Now, Jews would come from all over Israel, multiple times per year, to worship in the temple at Jerusalem. But, I mean, they're traveling over long, hard, dusty dirt roads. They would get to the temple, and so they would not only be literally unclean, they would be ceremonially like unclean. And so, meaning that basically, here's what that meant. Along the way, just going through your normal life, you would have almost certainly done something or touched someone, brushed up against them on the road, or even talked to the wrong person, and that right there was enough to make you unclean, like unfit, undeserving. You cannot go into God's presence. And so the Jewish priests, in an effort to make sure that everyone who approached God was good enough, like pure enough, had their acts together, had cleaned themselves up, constructed and operated these ceremonial baths. They're baptisms, okay? And in effect, here's what they're doing. They're washing the real life off of them. All the people you bumped into, all the people you talked to, all the dirt and the dust, and all, we're we're washing the real life off of you. The baptism was literally a bath. That's what it was. Now John the Baptist was the son of a Jewish priest. So John knew exactly what baptism was, how to do it, where to do it, and what it was for. And yet we don't find John in Jerusalem at the temple in these baptismals. That's not what he's doing. He's about 100 miles north of Jerusalem in in the area of ancient Israel known as Galilee just below the Sea of Galilee in the Jordan River. Now, this is not where he's supposed to be. This is not the way it's supposed to be. And people get very nervous. This is something I've noticed. People get very nervous when you don't do the things the right way in the right place. I picked up on that little tidbit in the last 18 years here. People get freaked out. Like, this is not how it's supposed to be. Well, John the Baptist lived with that same kind of suspicion, even stigma, from the religious establishment. Like, they looked at him more than a little cross-eyed. Like, come on. Like, this is not right. It's not good. You're out of bounds. Okay, But here's the irony. If you look in the Bible, if you look at the early followers of Jesus, they were never where they were supposed to be. I've heard my friend Mike, who came up, and this morning and Mike Greaterwave right was doing the announcements. Um, he came up with that brilliant bit, on the, sponsored by the letter B off the top of his head. Wow, so good, Mike. But I've heard him give talks where he says, "Jesus is always in unexpected places, and he's always with unexpected people." And I think that's true. And, and, you know, how they did it, how the early followers of Jesus did it, like how they lived out the life of faith, it didn't look how it was was expected to. And John was just another perfect example in this theme. And yet when you listen, listen, listen to what Jesus had to say about John the Baptist, this is quite a compliment coming from Jesus. He said this, I tell you the truth of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist. That's pretty high marks from a pretty important person, right? So John is doing a very old thing, baptism, in a very new way. In fact, you could, I think, make the case, when you look at all this stuff together, that there is a biblical, even um, the traditional Christianity has the tradition breaking traditions and making new ones. And that is what John is doing here. So Jesus and his followers were constantly innovating, doing exactly the kind of thing that John is doing here which is trying to reframe the life of faith in a way that moves it from ritual to real life. And in doing so, their hope is that it will invite people from the curious crowd into the committed community that's what they're doing and that's why now that
1: that doesn't mean no rituals that doesn't it, it means that rituals are
0: supposed to be related to real life jesus takes great pains to make to show how rituals are related to real life when he's going to partake in a ritual there's another one at the, near the end, John, that we'll look at sometime at some point. So here is John performing baptisms not in a ceremonial bath for people going into church, but out in the real world for people nowhere near church. This is unprecedented, and the religious establishment was absolutely horrified by the whole thing. He wasn't official, he wasn't trained, he didn't dress right, he didn't say the right things, he wasn't in the right place, and he was baptizing all the wrong people. That's the scene. People overwhelmed by real life, brokenhearted, stressed out, with big questions about what should I do with my life, what am I doing with my life, big questions about the future. People are confused, overwhelmed, underwater, beat up, and bruised. Said, "I'm nothing to you." That we're we can we're lost in the love of God. We're lost in the love of God, submerged in it, immersed in it. If we just knew it. So, in the time of Jesus and John the Baptist, there were separatists, like breakaway Jewish sects. And the, they looked at the religious establishment that operated out of the temple in Jerusalem, with the official, you know, uniforms and, and owned all the sacred places and holy things and all that kind of stuff. They looked at them as like sellouts. Like you're cooperating with the godless Romans, and you're all about power and prestige and position. You might have the robes, you might have the temple, you might have all of the, you know, the and all that kind of stuff. But we don't want any part of it. We don't buy into it at all. Now, for most of history, we didn't know very much about these separatist groups. And then, in the middle of the last century, the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered, and they're essentially, the Dead Sea Scrolls are basically like the private library of one of these separatist groups known as the Essenes, E-S-S-E-N-E-S, the Essenes.
1: And if the mainstream religious officials were like the establishment in
0: Jerusalem, the Essenes were essentially like the spiritual elite. Okay, They're like the AP kids. They're like the kids that just get all the right answers. Like They are really, really into this. They believed that everything that happened in Jerusalem was wrong. It was polluted. It was corrupted. And so they picked up, packed up, and they headed for the hills. They lived nowhere near like the establishment at all, and they decided to start their own like private, pure little pocket of people over there. And their point was, if you really want to be on God's side, if you really want to be the elite, you have to leave real life. You have to withdraw from it. You have to separate. This is how you purify religion and yourself. Now, here's the thing archaeologists have now excavated these Essene communities. They looked up in the hills, all right? And they've discovered this amazing they discovered dozens and dozens of ceremonial baptismals. They're everywhere in these Essene, old Essene villages. They were all over the place because this is what was happening. And Essene wouldn't be baptized to go to temple because they didn't go to temple. But they, the Essenes were being baptized every day. All of them. Everybody baptized every day. Often more than once. A day so you do something you do anything wrong and you have to go get baptized so copy your friends homework go get baptized right extra long look at the baker's daughter better go get baptized right your wife asks you does this look good on me and you answer yes and then excuse yourself to go to a ceremonial bath but <laughs> I mean, that is it what a moral dilemma that would be I don't have time for a bath, but oh gosh, I can't lie, what do I do? (laughs) Anyway, do anything with an impure motive and you must be baptized. So these ceremonial baths were everywhere. Were everywhere. I just picture these Essenes walking down the sidewalk and just jumping in and jumping back out because They're thinking something about their buddy. So what we need to see is that there are several types of Jewish people at this time in all different kinds of baptisms. There is the mainstream establishment in Jerusalem at the temple. Now, they may have been sincere, they may have been playing along, but they are going to the temple in Jerusalem, they're doing what they're supposed to do, and they're just trying to fit in. They're just doing what they think is the right thing to do. And then there are these puritanical elites, these separatists, these scenes, who took themselves so seriously they were baptized multiple times a day and of course there were as there always is plenty of cynics people who saw both of these groups and the corruption of the establishment the sanctimony of the elites and they just checked out all together they're like no thank you They almost, by the way the cynics almost certainly believed in God but they just refused to go along with either group they just looked at both and just kind of threw their hands up in disgust and then There's John. There's John the Baptist. And he didn't fit into any of these categories. This was a brand new, never seen before, never considered before perspective on baptism. He didn't perform baptism in the established temple. And he doesn't do them in the elite separatist communities. Yet, he doesn't cynically give up on baptism either. John is doing baptisms in the Jordan River. He's doing it in a river, and the question is why? Now John is the son of of an establishment priest. He's the neighbor of the elite Essenes. He rejects both the holy temple and the sacred separatists, and he opts instead for a very public, real-life, everyday place for his baptismal, the river. You have to picture it to begin to get it. He wasn't washing anything off like they do in the temple, nor nor was he escaping anything, like impure, like the Essenes. Instead, John has waded into this river, and he is literally up to his, in real life, he's up to his neck in real life, inviting people in to be baptized. You see, rivers in the ancient world were where all of real life happened. Virtually all civilizations at this time, from the big cities to the little villages, they needed to be near a source of water, almost always a river. Why? Because rivers are where everything happened. They were a source of food, drinking water, water for cooking, irrigation, transportation. And the truth is, they were a source of sanitation. This was not holy water it was not sacred water and it certainly wasn't zero water that John was in okay he is in the opposite of zero water rivers were filled with sweaty people dirty laundry boats and buckets shepherds with their flocks of sheep old men fishing children swimming that means full of all the questions and the struggles that the currents of life bring into our lives. That's what rivers are full of. This is no accident that John is in the river. He's in the river for a reason. He's inviting us into a relationship with God by helping us to see that we can be immersed in the goodness of God right in the middle of real life. We don't have to separate and head for the hills. We don't have to get to this special place, this special building with special people. This is not, this is religion being freed from the establishment, uh, the religious establishment, and it's being freed from the sacred spiritual ritual of the Essenes. This
1: is repent, believe, and be baptized
0: in your real life into real life. is a scene thick with symbolism and meaning that everyone there would have picked up on, or at least they would have known this guy is trying to tell us something important by choosing this. But it is easily lost on us because we, we are seeing it from so far away. This is God's great grace unleashed into the real world where real people live their real lives. It's like John is saying, everyone is invited. To be immersed in the goodness and grace of God. Just as you are, right where you are, I'll bring it to you. And by rejecting the establishment's holy baptism and the elite sacred baptism, and by rejecting the cynics' rejection of baptism, John is just, he's retelling God's story. He's, he's reframing, he's trying to tell us there's a second meaning to God's slogan, if you will and what it means, and who it's for. You know, we get asked all the time, like, why do we meet in a public space? Why do we use music that everyone knows? Why don't we have our own separate building, our own sacred space? And those are fair questions, and I get it. And let me say this very clearly, there is absolutely nothing wrong at all with church buildings or religious music or special ceremonies or sacred rituals, nothing. They can all be beautiful ways to express and experience faith and worship in worshiping God. And yet, Jesus seems to follow this theme. It is almost like his slogan, to bring God and his grace to where people really are in their real lives. In fact, the very first line of the book of John says, the Word, God, became flesh, Jesus, and moved into the neighborhood. It's bringing God's grace to us. That's the way of Jesus. God's passion for real people in our real lives is real. It's real. John understood this, and that's why he chose to baptize people in a river. He took the opportunity of baptism to people. And we have to see. Now, that's that's the setting for this. Okay? We have to see the enormous, incredible, life-changing reality that in a world where Jesus could have been baptized by the establishment in the temple or by the elite in their segregated pockets of purity, he chose John's baptism. He purposely chose John's baptism. God wades into the water with the fish and the sheep and the boats and the dirty laundry and the children. And right there, right in the middle of real life, Jesus is baptized. Don't miss it. Don't miss what he's doing here. He's inviting everyone who isn't good enough for the establishment, who isn't pure enough for the elite, everyone who is thirsty, dirty, tired, sweaty, confused, broken, brokenhearted, lost, and unsure. Everybody who's lost their way or lost someone they loved. Everybody who's sad, everyone who's mad. He is saying, I am in it with you, all of us. Who are in over our heads with a thousand questions about our real life. And the ups and the downs and the tragedies that come with it. Jesus is wading into the water, not to a bath, but to swim in the goodness of of the grace of God with him. That's what this is. Jesus chose to be baptized not just for us, but with us, on purpose, for a purpose. And one of his first followers described it this way. That's what baptism into the life of Jesus means. When we are lowered into the water, it is like a burial. It's like the burial of Jesus. And when we are raised back up out of the water, just as Jesus was raised from death to life through the glory of the Father, we too may have new life. What else does Jesus have to do to show us that he isn't for religion, he's for us. He isn't for some other world spirituality. He is about our real life. To be baptized is to be immersed with God in real life. And this is where forever begins. There in the waiting that God shows up. That yeah, He wades out to us in the middle of our real life, in the currents and the chaos of our real lives, and He invites us to start our real lives now. Repent, believe, and be baptized. It's a slogan with many meanings, and one of them is Jesus doesn't want a ritual or a ceremony, He wants us. He wants our baptism. To be our living reminder of the story of God. When we stepped out of the crowd and into community with him. By burying the old life through him. And entering into a new life with him. Swimming in the grace of God. Now if that sounds like an invitation that you'd like to say yes to. As soon as I'm done praying. We're going to meet right down here in front of the stage to talk about next week. I hope you'll consider that. I really do. If you can't stay, please get in touch with me through our website. Baptism is not an obligation, it's an opportunity. It's not the end, it's the beginning. It's not a bath, it's swimming. It is not just a ritual. It is the grace of God in real life. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for this time and this place. We thank you for the opportunity to be together And we thank you for the gift the invitation of baptism. That you have not only come to us and moved into the neighborhood, but that you brought this invitation to us in the thick of it. When we're neck deep, in over our heads with life. And it's right there, in that place, in that time. With who we really are right now, in our real everyday lives, that you're saying, I'm in it with you. God, I pray that we would be open to any invitation that you are giving to any of us as we feel it to step forward out of the crowd and into community with you. I pray that as we leave this morning, you would help us to grow and remain open, alert, expectant, and dependent on you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for coming, folks. That meeting's going to start in a minute.